will start when it's touched. Havlicek touches it. It begins. Three seconds. Hondo off the go. He's got it in second. John Havlicek won it. It's Pierce. Is this the dunker? Johnson gets it into Bird. Wilkins is there. Bird comes free. Good afternoon, Celtics fans, and welcome to the end-of-season edition of Celtics Speed on CLNS Radio. I'm your host, Rich Conti, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Adam Lowenstein. How are you today, Adam? Yeah, doing great. You know, it's, it's interesting that the season has ended at this point, and I feel like there's so many things to take away from it, even though it was such a frustrating one as far as the wins and losses goes. Hey, they still were above 500 against the Southeast Division, which has the most teams in the Eastern Conference playoffs, four teams, pretty impressive. And then, of course, we had the losing streak that seems to be end, an endless losing streak against the Western Conference on the road, so hopefully they'll be able to stop that early in the 2014-15 season. But it was a lot of fun, a lot of excitement, but you know, now we're ready for the offseason and the fireworks to begin. Yeah, the, the season's kind of mercifully come to a close, and like you said, the offseason will be in full gear before we know it. And we're kind of in this calm before the storm, and kind of reflecting back on the season, yeah, you know, there, there was, the team was more entertaining than I think folks really gave them credit for coming into the season. You know, they were without Rondo for the first part of the season, still won some big games. We'll never forget that game in the first couple of weeks down in Miami with oh, uh, yeah. the Jeff Green buzzer beaters. So, you know, I think as far as transition season goes, we could have done a lot worse. So, you know, I think a lot to, more to look forward to starting in the off season and then hopefully next year. Well, we got a lot to cover today, so we're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right to our first guest. We have a real treat this afternoon on Celtics Beat. Our first guest today is none other than Sean Grandy, play-by-play announcer for the Boston Celtics on 98.5 The Sports Hub. Our interview with Sean is brought to you by the Boston Sports Connection podcast. For the best Boston sports talk on the web, tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. with host Sean Backey, right here on CLNS Radio. Welcome to the show, Sean. Guys, promise me we can talk about the percentage chances of the fifth pick or the sixth pick because it's been a fascinating day debating that with people on Twitter. I mean, really fascinating. Interesting. You can't get enough. And by the way, everyone is tweeting me the same dumb and dumber joke about, so you're saying there's a chance? Thanks. Nobody else <laughs> Yeah, I feel like going back to my uh, college statistics classes with all the discussion about ping pong balls and percentages, and uh, I guess it, uh, it's all moot after the uh, lottery drawing on May 22nd or whenever it is. We'll, we'll know what the deal is. It's mostly people can't accept that the lo- most likely scenario is sixth, not yes. you know, more than any other, and they can't understand it, and they want to move up. Why can't we get the four? Because the rules are you can't move up if you're. Well, why can't? Why doesn't this team go? To, and it's the same. It's under the same umbrella of why can't we trade Phil Pressy for Carmelo Anthony? Exactly. Like you know, it's all the same idea. Well, I think those folks will uh, have their draft bloodlust uh, sated when we get to uh, when we get to June and and then we'll have a clearer picture of what the rebuild's going to look like going forward. Well, let's uh, kick things off with our Celtics Beat fan question of the day, which comes from Igor Dimitich, a diehard Celtic fan from overseas. Sean, Igor wants to know how many years you think it will be before the Celtics are contenders again? I, and I obviously isn't that, uh, I would say it's a million dollar question, but it's a lot more than a million dollars riding on, riding on the answer to that. Uh, the way I've been answering that question, and obviously I get it all the time, is that, uh, and I don't want clearly, 
what we've seen from Danny the last couple of days and the last week or so is a little pushback of the expectations that lightning is going to be able to strike twice that next year. And I, I'm partially to blame for this because I sort of invented this scenario, this Carmelo Anthony, Kevin Love, Rondo, newer big three scenario. And I did it strictly for the reason that I don't think people realize the width and breadth of what is possible out there. That what Danny has done is not, you know, uh, is not going to be able automatically to pull that off again. But the Celtics are one of two or three teams that are in position to do that. The most likely one, it's kind of like, you know what it's like? It's like the draft lottery. Chances are you're going to get six. That's more likely than not. But the Celtics have a much bigger chance of getting one than, you know, they have a greater chance than 25 other teams in the league of landing number one or number two or whatever it is. So I think there is, you know, there are scenarios out there. The analogy I've been using is those books that we had as kids. You guys are so young, you probably had, didn't even have books. You probably were born on the web. But those of us that are old enough that actually had books when we were kids, there were books that uh, you get to the end of the page, and it would say, to do this, turn to page 25. To do this, turn to page 40. And you had different scenarios, different ways, and then it would, the story would take on a completely different meaning depending on which direction. And the point is that Danny has many, he's created with the assets he has, many different directions that he could go based on on what's available. And I think that I don't know if it's going to be next year or the year after or in three years, but I think the Celtics are in a much better position to be contenders in 2017 than five-sixths of the league. Yeah, I think the you know Celtics, obviously, with all the draft picks in particular that Danny Ainge has acquired and some of the younger players are in a great position. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Another team in a great position of the Phoenix Suns and old friend Ryan McDonough. And I think a lot of folks you know, kind of when, when you bring up that topic, want to know exactly, who, you know, who that player is, who are they targeting with with all those assets. And, you know, my argument's always been that uh, you don't ex- exactly know who's going to become available. You just know that on a yearly or bi-yearly basis that impact players get into situations where they become available and he's he's kind of poised to strike. You know, do you think there are specific names that, that Ainge is really looking at? Or is it really, like you said, just kind of a an open slate and he's positioned to move the the uh, chess pieces around the board uh, once they kind of uh, present themselves? I think it's an open slate, but I think there's always a pecking order. And, you know, the two guys I mentioned are the two best players who, in my view, have the best chance of changing teams. I haven't, the one thing when I first came up with this idea, the, the, the fantasy that Carmelo Anthony Kevin Love won, and the idea was that the Celtics have the assets that the, this is pre Phil Jackson. Now, whether the Knicks are going to be more likely or less likely to make the move that the organization needs to make because Phil Jackson's there. My first thought was, well, Phil Jackson's there, so that's a big, sexy hire, and they're going to have to keep Carmelo and whatever. And then the more I thought about it, the more I realized that Phil Jackson's one of the few who has the cachet to do this properly in New York. And everybody knows there's virtually no chance that within the next three or four years, barring something ridiculous like LeBron deciding he wanted to play in New York, that it isn't going to happen there in the next couple of years. So the smart play is to build with assets, young players, and draft picks. And then you look around the league, people in Chicago will say, well, yeah, Carmelo Anthony should come here. They say, what do you have to give up for him? Well, we've got Taj Gibson. We've got... And it doesn't work that way. The same way in 2007, you know, everyone just thought Kevin Garnett, Boston. I mean, now it is an ingrained part of NBA history. But seven years ago, nobody thought it was going to happen. People were going on national TV saying, well, Kevin Garnett doesn't want to go to Boston, and that can't possibly happen. Of course, he's going to go to L.A. because he has a house out there. But it wasn't 
number one, it wasn't entirely his choice. He didn't want to leave Minnesota, by the way, which is the real holdup. But it was a matter of do you have the right assets. The Celtics, at the end of the day, this came down to Al Jefferson versus Andrew Bynum, which over the last couple of years has looked like it might have been the wrong choice that Kevin McHale made in Minnesota. Now you look at this year and you have one of the 10 most valuable players in the league versus a guy who's basically out of the league and buy him. And it looks like it was a pretty good choice, but I think there is a, a pecking order. And I think when you start that discussion, is there a second tier of guys? Sure. But why not? If you're in the game at the top of the chart, why not say, well, what would we have to do? You know, we've got the assets, the concept for me, the assets, the Knicks have, we, the Celtics have what the Knicks need to make a move. And then if you had, my idea was if you had Carmelo Anthony and Rajon Rondo together, then the phone call to Kevin Love is a little easier. And Sean, this was an interesting season. I know Rondo was only healthy for part of it. Um, and I feel like, you know, there, you, you talked about a lot how this season was really exciting, even though the result was similar to what was expected. You know, how did they perform the season to your expectations as far as yours, your own ones? And then any positives to take away from the season in general? Well, it's funny because they actually ended up underperforming. I was, everyone was you know, like making fun of me at the start of the year, or not so much making fun, I wouldn't say that. But obviously we dealt with, in 2007, we didn't deal with the, the tank brigade. didn't come around until like February, <laughs> when it was obvious after the Paul Pierce injury and then things started to go south and he had the losing streak. Then the idea of uh, people started sitting in their cubes and before they had downloaded the draft machine onto their iPhones, which they've done now in 2007, they're sitting around their cubes and their computer doing how many times do we get Odin and Durant. And so at the end of the year, it became that this year, the Celtics won, when they won that game in Miami, there were people unhappy about it. They were three and four. It was their game seven of 82, and we had to deal with, how can you be so excited when the Celtics win a game? People not understanding the big picture. But I really thought the start of the year, I thought this was a high 20s win team. When I watched the preseason, I thought they might be lucky to get up to 28, 30 wins. But I thought 28 was a reasonable number, and obviously they didn't get to it. What surprised me was how a team, unlike 2007, the 2007, 2006, you had that core, Al Jefferson, Delonte West, Kendrick Perkins, young players who were playing for their place in the league. Brad Stevens didn't have a ton of that. He had, you know, Jeff Green has been around. He's got a big money contract. So does Chris Humphrey, so does Gerald Wallace, so does Brandon Bath, and yet, what surprised me was the fact that those guys played as hard as they did, and the games, for the most part, were so competitive. Celtics were not good in the second half of the year, and there were too many nights when they weren't competitive. And defensively, the last 20 games, they were pretty atrocious. I mean, one of the worst teams in the league. But I was surprised at how entertaining the games were, how competitive they were. And some of that goes back to what I, I wrote about the other day, which is, and as, you know, as you guys know, as being sort of the anti-Johnny Most, I'm the last guy the last local announcer was ever going to do that pandering bit about, oh, the fans have been great this year at the ballpark and they've supported the team. But it really was eye-opening when we went around to all the other cities, places that had good teams. Washington's going to the playoffs. You know, Minnesota had a top-10 team in the league in terms of scoring differential this year. And then you go to other places, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and there was nobody there and the atmosphere was terrible. And here the Celtics were in this year that everybody knew was going to be this way. 2007, by the way, was not supposed to be that way. 2007, Celtics had a borderline playoff team if Theo Ratliff is healthy, ha, huh? and Wally Zerbiak was healthy all year, and Paul Pierce was healthy. Those three guys. And that was how I hedged my homerism in 2007 when I was asked about that year. Well, how good could the Celtics be? Could they be in the playoffs? I said, they could be a 38-40 win team if Paul Pierce and Wally Zerbiak and Theo Ratliff are healthy all year, which, of course, there was no way they were going to be. But this year started, we knew what was coming. And yet, 
as bad as it was at times, the Celtics played 97, between 97 and 98% capacity at the Garden. The crowds were into the games. They were, you know, pulling for them to pull these upsets. And the team played hard. And I think it was obviously far from the most talented team in Celtics history. But I think they and the coach did themselves proud in terms of, you know, playing hard for the 82 games. Unlike those teams like in the late 70s that had a lot of talent and just kind of phoned it in. Now, you touched on this a bit earlier, but, you know, obviously there's a group of folks out there that, you know, if the Celtics don't land one of the top three or four draft selections, that there'll be that, that kind of feeling of a of a lost season. But, you know, what long-term positive developments did you see over the, the course of the season? Were there any? Uh, number one, I would say, well, in no particular, and I'm going to get back to the fans in the arena in a second because I think there's a way I'm going to, I'm going to bring that back. I don't think it should be overlooked in the long-term health of the franchise and maybe landing the next great Celtic. But on the floor, I think the second half Kelly Olenek had uh, and was eye-opening in what you'd want it to be. And if he has that second half the entire year in what was a very bad year for the rookie class, he's right in the conversation to me with Oladipo and and Michael Carter-Williams and those guys. And him sort of feeling his way and the game slowing down and, you know, the, the upside to me, and this will sound backwards, is that Jared Sollinger and Kelly Olenek have there's so many ways they can get better. And they've still had good years at times, yet their, their learning curve and their room for improvement is, is what you want it to be. Like they can get much, much better. It's not like a guy that kind of taps out, and, well, that's about as well as he can play, and it doesn't really end up getting any better. Uh, you know, Jared Sollinger, because the laundry list, you could hand them, as Brad Stevens will do, a list of stuff. You need to work on this, this, and this. And it's it's doable. It's like players, what I always said about Rondo early on, when Rondo, you know, he didn't have a good year shooting, you know, eight years in, but he's not a good, the things that Rondo doesn't have are the things you can get better at. The things he does have are the things you can't teach. And I think on a smaller scale, there's an element of that with Kelly and with Jared. So that to me was, was big upsides. I thought eye-opening the way Pressy played at the end of the year and, and Chris Johnson when he was here, in that it makes you think, and this is a little bit of a Butler thing with Brad Stevens and the guys that weren't McDonald's All-Americans, is that we get so hung up in where guys are drafted that we forget how thin the margin is between the 20th player drafted and the 65th player, the guy who didn't get drafted, that that margin can easily be made up for you know, in one good season in the D-League and in desire to play. And the Phoenix Suns are the best example of that, by the way. You know, P.J. Tucker's become like the poster child for that. You know, getting caught up in where you're drafted and your talent level, not your, you know, what percent of that talent you end up using. So I thought top of my list is probably is probably Kelly and Jared and the assets that you have. In the big picture, you're a year closer to having contract flexibility. You got the draft pick. You survived the year with the fans very much into it and supporting it. This is a necessary process. These years, whether it's one year, two years, three years, these are hard. And now you've already got one, and it wasn't that painful, uh, you know, behind you. But here's the one thing I'll say. Here's the wild card. When people ask them about the highlights of this year, people will tell you, obviously, the return of Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and Doc Rivers to the Garden were things you'll remember forever. And those were highlights of the season. But I think there's more to it than that. Because the NBA now, in an age in which free agents can largely go where they want and determine their own future, maybe a little bit less than they could before, but it's, it's up there on the list, and that's how you win, is getting those guys. You have haves and you have nights, places that people want to go versus they don't. 
And when it comes to Boston versus Miami versus Los Angeles, okay, it's not as sexy a place. But if you watch those two nights and think about where guys would want to play, Boston is a place that guys would want to come and play. And if you're, not, if you're telling me that there aren't the next generation of stars out there that want to be that next guy to play for, play in this city, to play for those fans, to be a part of what Kevin and Paul and Doc were a part of when they came back to it, I think you're kind of missing what the NBA is now. And that's why I think those were very significant nights this year to have those guys not just get what they got, but to talk about the city and playing here the way they did. And it's great that the the fans can can you know praise players who you know gave them so much at the stadium for so many years. And what's interesting is is you know fans are, are worried about you know the, the future of this team. And one player who has been talked about a lot is Avery Bradley. Is his future you know is that an uncertain one? We had Alex Kennedy on last week. He spoke with Bradley a month ago and said that you know Bradley loves Boston. You know Kennedy thinks he'll be back. You know where do you stand on this? I think that he probably will. I, Avery is it's. A funny thing happens when you go from being winning 55 games to losing 55, and players change their roles. Um, a great example is, you know, for 16, how many years now? This is 13 years I've been with Max. And he's a really good example of this. Max was the leading scorer on the Celtics in 1979. And he could have gone, if he had ended up in other places, he would have been a guy that scored 18, 20, 24 points a game in the 80s and been the leading scorer, but not on a team that was winning. Instead, he became one of, you know, he was the, the, he was the fourth guy in the big three and obviously MVP of the finals and great accolades and had the best game of his career, arguably one of the biggest games in the history of the league in game seven in 84, but his role was different. And to me, Avery, it's good that he can, you want him to be able to shoot and it's good that you know that he can do that. Do I want to see do I prefer Avery Bradley 2012 to 2014? Who was a guy who was going to run to the corner, hit those open threes for you, get those backdoor cuts, and be an effective offensive weapon. But his primary job out there was to sick him on the best scorer and the point guard for the other team and make their life miserable. I'd like to see him get back to that. But young players, the way the league is set up, it's set up for you to go and get yours. And Avery this year became a guy taking 20 shots a game. And I think that was necessary for him and good for him. But in the long run, I want to see Avery back to the Avery that uh, we all fell in love with two years ago. And another player who we'll see if he's in a Celtics jersey next year is Jeff Green. You know, there's a possibility of him opting out. Is Jeff Green going to be back on this team? Yeah, he will. Jeff Green, we were talking about this the other night uh, on the air, and it got a little bit, uh, well, I think it wasn't as construed what we were saying, but then the next day, uh, I think a couple of people on the talk shows were talking about it. Jeff Green had a four-year contract. He can opt out after the third year. We were talking about what happens to the cap for the Celtics in 2015. But I, I do think that, I mean, Jeff Green is just a fascinating case. And maybe a player who, <laughs> what's really odd about Jeff Green is that he's sort of the anti-Boston player. And the way players who, and the best example that there is, is the guy for whom he was traded. You look at Kendrick Perkins and Jeff Green. Talk about their talent, but talk about players that made a permanent impact in the Boston sports culture. I mean, Perk was a Boston player. Got the most out of his talent, hard on his sleeve, emotion all the time. It doesn't necessarily make you a better player. But Jeff Green just drives people crazy because you see him do things and say, why can't he do it all the time? But that's not... I think unlike we were talking about guys who can change and get better, I, I think the things that drive people crazy about Jeff Green are not going to change. 
That is who he is. He's extraordinarily talented. Uh, is he your go-to guy? I, you know, he's he's not that guy in the you know in the fourth quarter. But can you win with Jeff Green? Yeah, you can win with him. Uh, where he falls as far as the salary slot, I don't know. Are there better fits for him in the NBA than in Boston? Right now, I don't know. I mean, he's got a starting spot. Let's remember, too, the next time Jeff Green drives you crazy. Two years ago, the kid had his chest opened up on an operating table with a very uncertain future in his life. And two years later, he has played every game, started every game this year, and was the leading scorer on an NBA team. And that is, that's pretty impressive, too. I think we, we watched Jeff Green score 38 against Miami last year, and then you just want him to do that every night, and you get mad when he doesn't because his facial expression doesn't change and he doesn't throw water bottles and he doesn't have tantrums and people sometimes have difficulty particularly in this part of the country relating to that but this is a a very unique talent in the nba i don't know if he fits on a um, whatever version 2.0 of the celtics team is in a year or two but i think it's easy to overlook just how good he is what about some of the other veterans? Obviously, there's guys like Chris Humphreys, who's a free agent. Uh, Brandon Bass, still one year left to go on his deal. And, of course, Gerald Wallace, who has two years remaining. And then, of course, there's the big question, Mark. A lot of talk about Rondo, even some more today, when you know Ainge mentioned that there was some serious talk around the deadline, particularly with, with the Kings. Uh, how many of those guys do you expect to see on the roster next October? Uh, not as many. I don't know which ones, but obviously the more they become impact, the closer they get to the end of their contracts, and obviously Chris's deal is up, the closer you get to the end of their deals, you realize that if they are impediments to Jared Sollinger minutes and to Kelly Olenek minutes, then that becomes a problem. Those guys played more. Let's remember this about Jared Sollinger, who I, I you know, was, I say was the Celtics MVP this year, almost by default, but Jared Sollinger played about, I don't have it in front of me, less than 60% of the minutes this year that were, you know, that the Celtics played. He only played, he played 27 minutes a game and he missed some games too. So it was not much more than 50% of the minutes that he played this year. So there were a lot more minutes available for Brandon Bass and for Chris Humphreys, who, by the way, Chris Humphreys had a really good year. And I, I was talking to Doc Rivers in January about Chris Humphreys, like, and Chris, Doc had Antoine Jameson at the backup four who was done, you know, two years ago. In the NBA, Chris Humphreys would be a very useful player for some of these Western Conference teams like the Clippers and Houston. As, you know, they would love to have a guy like that going into the playoffs. So I was surprised there wasn't as much interest or enough interest in him at the deadline. But these guys can show they can play. It's just a matter of, I don't know what Chris Humphreys' new salary slot is. And more to the point, if it's going to be the longer form rebuild and Sollinger and Olenek, and to a lesser degree Avery, are your... Bradley Beal and John Wall right now that you're going to continue to develop for two or three years and eventually get to the playoffs the same way Al Jefferson and Ryan Gomes and Delonte West and Kendrick Perkins, those guys were going to be for the Celtics. That's sort of a forgotten part of history. What if? When would that team have made the playoffs? Would they have made the playoffs in 08 with Paul Pierce coming back healthy and those young guys getting better? You know, what would, what would the curve have been there? You know, it's all the stuff that we don't know. And if you go version 2.0 here, uh, Chris Humphreys is, a, is uh, I think he had a really, really good year. And the only impediment I said is how many minutes has he taken away from Jared Sollinger and Kelly Olenek? I think because of the contract, you know, Gerald's going to be here. And unlike seemingly everybody else, I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, I think you wanted Gerald Wallace in your locker room. I think it's a helpful presence. And to me, it's not a coincidence. Things started to really go downhill when he got hurt.
No, that is interesting. And in the Celtics season, we, we've talked a lot about it and just a lot about the lottery, but the lottery's still a little bit away, you know, a little bit of a ways away. Uh, you know, we're, we got right in the NBA playoffs starting, you know, this weekend. You know, what do you think about these playoffs? Do you have an NBA Finals pick for us? You know, I, I don't have – I'm staring at the West. I've changed my mind several times, and I've learned my lesson. I think all of us at some point or another have finally picked against the Spurs and then gotten burned. To me, that was last – like, I didn't pull the triggers early as other people did. But last year, I was you know, I was convinced Memphis was going to beat them. And, you know, and of course, they just demolished them in the series. And the thing about the Spurs is the last few years is the better they are, the better they look in the regular season, that's when they struggle in the playoffs. And obviously, they've been the best team throughout the course. The Clippers have a lot of momentum out west. I don't see any reason – I don't feel you could logically not pick my. I mean, there's scenarios where Miami doesn't win the East because you're one LeBron banana peel slip away from Miami just becoming, you know, ordinary in the Eastern Conference. But as long as that guy's on that team, I don't see how you pick against Miami in the East. To me, there's no. I'm not as quick to throw dirt on Indiana as everybody else is. Uh, it's a very popular pick right now to pick somebody else, Chicago, or however the brackets work out, you know, to pick uh, Chicago to. You know, to knock them out in the second round, that could very easily happen. It's going to be a tough series, and Noah had a MVP caliber year. Um, that was tough. The award ballots were tougher than I thought this year. I kind of sat and sat over them for a while, like a you know, <laughs> sitting over a birdie putt. It was tougher this year. I flip flopped on LeBron and Durant many, many times, and before I had to make that call. Uh, I think Miami certainly the pick in the East. Uh, my heart obviously is with Doc um, in the West, and I think. It's kind of like the, the lottery odds. It's hard to pick one. Yeah, it's mo- the most likely scenario is that the Celtics get the sixth pick, but it's still far more likely that it'll be something else. Other, you know, there's a 68% chance or whatever that it won't be six. So even though that's the most likely scenario, it's still most likely that it's not. And the same thing in the West where the Spurs are probably the most likely pick, but you would hardly call them you know, anything better than 40% with all the, uh, you know, with all the teams out there. It's going to be fun which is rarely nba is the most predictable of the four sports by a wide margin so sometimes these first two rounds are just preliminaries to get to you know to get what to what we expected in the last two years in the league you kind of had a pretty good idea what the final four or five was going to be and this year i think you know the west is as wide open as any conference has been in years well one more question before we let you go we know you're a big hockey fan and of course the voice of the frozen four who do you have winning the stanley cup and are you going to get to see any of the games at the uh the garden for the bruins uh, hopefully, it's funny we haven't had that chance. It's really—I'll tell you this, guys. It's really bizarre right now. To—I think I—I t- I looked this up out of my own curiosity about the date, and it was kind of backed up with what I saw. This was the early calendar was. It was whatever it was the 16th was Wednesday night. It was the earliest end to the Celtic season since 1979. Wow. So it's very bizarre. You're talking about the Bruins. Um, you know, last year with the whole Red Sox thing, that happened for me. I got to do the Red Sox games because the Celtics were done by May 1st. And that, even that seemed very early after we'd been playing till June, seemingly every year for the last five or six years. So it's pretty bizarre to think of how the Bruins haven't started yet uh, in the playoffs. I am a big fan of the NBA. This is all picking the Stanley Cup is. is almost impossible. I, I retired from it when I picked the Kings a couple of years ago. So I'm like, I'll never get it again. So uh, everyone, I got a lot of attention for that, but I'd pick the Kings the year before and they didn't make it just because I thought, you know, you always go with the best goalie and I really like Jonathan Quick. But I will give you this one. And it's why I liked, uh, two years ago, I did the, the 
Bill Simmons' podcast right at the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs. It was towards the end of the Celtics. And I said Boston and Vancouver in the Stanley Cup Finals. And the reason I said it is because I'm a big fan in the NBA and particularly in the other sports, too, of scoring differential as being the best indicator of who the best team is over the course of 82 games or 162 games. Scoring differential is really, you know, it takes out the vagaries of the one-run losses and the flukish games that happen and really gives you an indication of who has the best body of work. And that this year, you know, it's the Bruins are far and away the best scoring differential in the NHL. And I think it's St. Louis and Anaheim, maybe there's some of the Western San Jose's up there too. But that's what I use if someone's putting me on the spot to make picks. I just find the best teams that way. And I think there's, and I know in the East, it's, it's a clear cut choice that's the Bruins. And generally when that's happened in the past, they haven't won. I thought the best hockey I've seen anybody play, and I grew up, I would say, watching those Islanders, you know, 30 years ago when I was a little kid. I was rooting for the Rangers, and I watched the Islanders destroy them every year, so I know what it's like to see a dominant team. And the Bruins, the in-between year when they weren't in the finals, the title defense year, 2012, was the year they were playing their best. They were just rolling over people at midseason, so it's all about who's playing well now. But I think, you know, Boston and Boston, St. Louis would be fun, 1970, Bobby Orr. Definitely a callback to the past. Yep. And you like, I root for the NHL to have... You know, the big markets. Like the other a couple of years ago, it would have been so close. You had that when the Devils beat the Rangers, you could have had the Rangers and the Kings. Yep. You know, New York and LA in the finals. And, you know, the league can certainly use that. Well, you've been listening to Sean Grandy, the voice of the Celtics on 98.5 The Sports Hub. You can follow Sean at, on Twitter at Sean Grandy PVP. Thanks for joining us today, Sean. Anytime, guys. I finally have some time on my hands. So, you know, whatever. Anytime. Well, have a great weekend. All right, guys. Well, Adam, as expected, great stuff from the voice of the Celtics, Sean Grandy. I really liked his comments about the draft odds and how people get so wound up on the on the positioning and really even the you know the idea of you know who they're going to trade for and and what's the rebuilding like. And I think kind of the message he gave folks was relax. They're in a good position. There are no guarantees, but we all just have to kind of wait and let the process play itself out because you know you really can't just dictate what the moves are going to be. You have to wait to see kind of how the chessboard lines up, and I think Danny's really armed with a lot of uh, chess pieces and a lot of uh, different directions he can go. And the chess pieces aren't even in your control. You're still a month away from the lottery. The lottery balls will tell you what happens. You can't do anything in between. You can, you can talk to people, you can figure out things, but there's nothing you can do as far as signing on the dotted line or finishing any deals until you know exactly where you're picking and if you want to trade that pick. So it's going to be a very interesting month ahead where you're going to be able to enjoy NBA playoff basketball instead of having to worry about lottery balls. And I loved his comments about really the positive aspect of just kind of the way that the team approached the season, kept kind of the fans engaged uh, largely, and just, you know, the comments about the reception that, that, that Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and Doc Rivers received in their return to the guard and the impact that's going to potentially have on the rebuild in the form of, you know, making Boston more of an attractive place to be. Absolutely, and I think that's really important for when you actually see players who will be able to give so much to the fans, and the fans will be able to give it right back to them. Well, regular listeners to Celtics coverage on CLNS Radio are familiar with the Garden Report. If you're not, you can find it on the CLNS YouTube channel, www.youtube.com slash CLNS Radio. The Garden Report follows most every home game and features CLNS's Jared Weiss and Jimmy Toscano of Comcast Sportsnet and Celtics Blog. Today we're fortunate enough to have Jared and Jimmy on this special Garden Report edition of the Celtics Beat, brought to you by the world-renowned BeatsandEats.net. 
food, comedy, pop culture, and just about anything and everything in between. That's BeatsAndEats.net. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Thanks hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. And kind of thanks for having Jared, too. <laughs> Can you guys uh, talk a little bit to the audience about uh, what goes into the production of the Garden Report, the tapings of production, and how it all kind of gets put together? Yeah, basically, I tell Jimmy and Evans what we're going to talk about, and then we just sit in front of a really bright light and talk about it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we've I, we've gotten to the point where it required so it required like a lot of planning at first, and we've we've done it so many times together. We know each other well enough now that we can kind of just say, all right, here's the quick topics we're going to hit, and we can pretty much improvise the show from there. It's uh, it, uh really half the time. The questions that I'm throwing at them, I never even told them I was going to give them. They just, you know, Jimmy and Evans know basketball so well, and we know each other so well at this point that we're able to pretty easily just do the show off the top of our heads. Yeah, I think one of the things that's cool is we don't we don't necessarily sit next to each other while we're watching the game. I think we all kind of take our space, and we want to form our own opinions on what we see out there. And it's good that way because you get to the show and maybe see something that, you know, maybe that's something that Jared didn't see, or maybe Evans sees something that I didn't see. And it's a good way to form different opinions. Um, we'll, sometimes we'll talk at halftime and just kind of go over what we saw, you know, what we're looking for in the second half and stuff like that. And then a lot of it will depend, too, on what we get, you know, pregame or postgame from these guys in the locker room. I mean, if, if somebody, you know, goes off in the locker room, not that it really happened this year, but if something dramatic happens, then obviously that's going to change, you know, the direction we were going to go in the show. So we'll focus on specific points. Something that Brad Stevens said, or a lot of times it would be Gerald Wallace that would sort of be, the voice of uh, the voice of doom in the locker room a lot of the time. So we'd go that way with it. But yeah, like like Jared said, you know, we'd become sort of we kind of had an idea of what we thought we were going to do before we did it. We'd go over it briefly before the show started, and then just kind of build off what each other says during the show and go from there. And this is uh, yeah, and, oh go go ahead um, go go ahead Jared. Well, yeah, I, I was just going to say you know, I think it's it's important that we never forget that what the players and the coaches are saying is the most important thing, and we of course try to see through whatever they're trying to say and, and try to find the truth or the legitimacy in there. But we always we always want to bookend each video with clips from the locker room or for the press conferences. And we do usually use that as kind of a guide for what we want to talk about or how we want to talk about something. So and it, usually it'll be that we'll like have our topic and we'll try to pull a clip rela- relevant to that topic. So usually Rajon Rondo. But uh, we we tend we a lot of the time I like it to be that something interesting will be said in the locker room or at a press conference uh, podium, and we'll sometimes use that as the key for how we want to go into an argument because you know we'll, a lot of the in- insights that we give you on the show those are things that we've learned from these people over the years even just learned from them or just understood from them and so I, I always think it's really important that we put what the players and the coaches are saying first. And what's really interesting, and this is uh, Adam Lowenstein here, and what's really interesting about this season was that, I know you guys talked about in the last Garden Report, that Jeff Green, you know, they really hasn't done much, even though he was the leading scorer of the team. You know, it was a tough year. It was frustrating at times. You know, was it tougher as, as journalists this year, with the team not being as competitive, um, you know, compared to recent years? And, and you know, if, if so, um, you know, were, were you able to take some of the highlights out of the season and try to magnify those because they were the only few highlights? Yeah, I yeah, guess well, I um, You want me to go? Yeah, go, go. So, go compared to just, just compared to previous seasons when you've got guys like Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and, you know, your their goal is to win a championship, there's obviously, you know, much bigger storylines. You know, you've got opposing teams coming in here. 
you know, try, you know, putting out their best to, you know, beat this team and, and prove to themselves and others that, you know, they can roll with the best. This year is obviously different. You know, you have the Heat come in and LeBron James is in play. You know, the Thunder come in and Kevin Durant is in play. Like, so clearly, like, it's a little bit harder to sort of find those storylines. So, yeah, when you do, when something does happen sort of out of nowhere, you kind of grab onto that and you kind of roll with that because yeah, you don't just want to inundate people with, you know, the Celtics lose, Celtics lose, Celtics lose <laughs> over and over again. It does get tiring, and you really do have to find different ways to sort of spruce up the show. And what that means, talking about the opposing team, you've done that a lot too. You know, we, we'll, we'll try to give out, you know, that's with the boxing out and the baller of the night that we do, we kind of sort of change things up a little bit there and get away from the, you know, the actual Celtics only perspective. Yeah, I think last year, and especially the year before that, we had to focus more on the actual X's and O's and to really focus on the gameplay because every single game was so crucial. Yeah. This year, there were so many episodes where we, before we started the show, we said, listen, this game isn't really interesting. Let's just talk about some general topic or whatever. And I think what that allowed us to do in the locker room of actually asking questions to the players is we didn't have to ask a lot of the usual kind of beat reporter questions. And we can maybe ask questions that are a little bit different that kind of fit into more of the bigger picture stuff or more unique stuff that we were trying to do. So I found myself this year, and I think Jamie was in the same boat there, kind of asking less like kind of like what you guys need to do to get it together, that kind of stuff, and more like asking specific questions about bigger picture things. Like I feel like I feel like I ask guys about developing their post game more this year than I have in any of my previous years. <laughs> Uh, Jared, we asked Sean Grandy this, but in terms of performance on the court, how did the team live up to your own individual expectations coming into this season, and were there any surprises or disappointments? Well, I had them for, in my summer forecast, uh, I think 32 wins, and then when we did a garden report during the preseason, I think I said about 26 wins, so it looks like they were right, we were all pretty much right on target. I think Evans Clinchy uh, was the one that was high, but Jimmy, you predicted it correctly, right, the exact record? I think I was right in the right in the area. I, to sum it up, I had yeah. I had no expectations. <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly we we didn't really have any expectations. I was totally fine with how the season went because they were able to strip down the team with a few different moves. We had one guy that just quit on the team. Literally, you had all these guys getting hurt, and the team itself. Well, obviously, they had to deal with the whole like how do you guys got to do better, all that kind of stuff. But I don't remember anybody taking any serious shots or having any serious risks out in public. And there's all these other teams that are having all these problems. Hell, even Indiana, one of the best teams in the league, is having these problems. But the Celtics, they have a, a pretty solid cast of guys in the locker room that kept it together. And I, I don't think I ever saw them. I, I never really saw the Celtics take the game off. There were games where they just they couldn't bring it nearly at the level of their opponent. We saw that a lot of last night in the second half. In the first quarter, of course, but or sorry, Wednesday night, but they they never really like deliberately phoned it in this year, and that's very admirable. And the fact that they could never phone it in and still have such a bad record shows just the lack of talent that was on the roster. But I think for a team that was that may or may not have been quote unquote tanking, they they didn't do the usual tanking things that are actually disruptive to the, the future development of the franchise. Yeah, I agree with Jared, pretty much everything he said. I mean, like I said earlier, I didn't have that many expectations, but the games, I didn't, I didn't go to the games, or I didn't leave the games, I should say, and say, oh, that was painful. I mean, there were a few that were like that, but for the most part, they were entertaining a bunch. Yeah, they couldn't hold a lead. They would blow, you know, constant leads in these games, or they would just, you know, come up short. 
But the games were close. You could tell they were trying. You could tell they cared. I mean, Brad Stevens, I made a joke in one of the shows that if you're in a flip book of Brad Stevens at the start of every press conference, it would just be like slowly him just sludging down in his chair because every game <laughs> he, really, he really does like get really upset over these losses, you know, and, and it's not easy for him, you know, coming from a college program where they won all the time. It's not easy for these college guys like Selinger and Olenek who also come from programs that win all the time. So, you know, it's pretty admirable for them to, you know, keep their heads up and try to keep their right attitude and just fight through the season. And, and that was my main takeaway. I mean, to me, I was looking for individual improvement. I wasn't looking specifically for wins. I was looking for guys like Selinger and Olenek to show me something, and they really did. So in that aspect, you know, I thought it was a successful year. And also, like Jared said, you know, they didn't tank. I think they've got some good karma going into the lottery here, so hoping that works for them. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see going forward with the lottery. And of course, we have the off season where maybe there'll be fireworks. I think we've meant we've heard that from everybody in the the front office saying that at one point. I know yeah. Mick Grosbeck said it at one point. I think Danny Ainge just talked about it. You know, any possibilities? You think that there'll be an impromptu Garden Report talking about a big trade, big move? What do you guys see happening this off season? <laughs> Jared, what do you think? Oh man! Yeah, I mean, I, I would expect they've got so many draft picks. Like, what's the point of having all these draft picks, right? <laughs> they have they have multiple first round picks for the next four hundred years. They don't need eight hundred players. They only need a, they only need to draft basically one or two guys a year. So maybe they'll maybe they'll try to sell off as many second round picks as possible. But I just I don't see them keeping like that Clipper pick next year. I think that's definitely one that's going to get moved. They might even sell a little bit low on that just to get something tangible. But they've amassed so many first round picks that there's no benefit at this point for them for them to either move, package those to move up in the draft or to just get more players out of it because they don't need you know, they've already got a complete like a roster that's like the average age is almost as low as any other roster in the league, about the lowest. So they don't really need to be drafting more guys. They really need to start getting some veterans so they can make it a two-year turnaround, basically. So I would expect, I, I, I wouldn't put too much, I wouldn't uh, like kind of think about Kevin Love every night before you go to bed, but there are a bunch of guys <laughs> out there that you could, that could be had, and I, I would expect the Celtics to push hard to make something happen. Oshik is a guy that doesn't make a lot of sense to trade for this year because he's going to be making $15 million. But he's, he's a guy that makes sense to sign after that $15 million is gone. So it might just be holding on to stuff and then signing guys in the offseason and then making a trade after the 2014-15 season. Uh, but the idea of the Kevin Love trade is very exciting, and it's very possible, but... Minnesota is going to hold out as hard as possible for the best possible return because they, the Kevin Love is the only reason why they've had the best record in a non-Kevin Garnett year in their entire franchise history, and that was a 40-42 and 42 record. So Minnesota doesn't want to lose Kevin Love, and they're going to do whatever they can to keep him. But they've seen what's been happening with Carmelo and with Mike Howard, all these guys leaving, and they see the writing on the wall. So I would expect the Celtics to be trying as hard as they can to make that move happen. Yeah, I think there's going to be fireworks. I think Ainge is definitely going to give it 110% to, you know, start the fire and, and you know, get those fireworks going. Uh, me, personally, like, I don't look at the roster and I don't see anybody that I wouldn't trade. You know, and, and if the Celtics come back with, you know, 10 new players next year, and, you know, assuming that if that's the case, a few of them are going to be good because I assume there will be some trades involved and they wouldn't. Danny Ainge isn't going to just trade guys for the sake of trading guys. He's going to do it if he thinks he's going to help the team. That said, you know, he said earlier today on, on, on another radio show that 
you know, everyone's on the table. No one's off limits. That includes Rondo. That includes Bellinger. And I'm on board with, you know, I'm on board with shopping those guys for the right price. I do think that the Ashley deal might come into play again. Um, if they can get Parsons back in that deal, and, and who knows if, if Lynn's involved or how that works there. Um, I think that if the Rockets come up short uh, in the playoffs, and I, what I mean by that is if they, you know, if they lose in the first round or, or if they get blown on the second round, I think that that might convince uh, the Rockets or you know Daryl Morey to do something uh, major. And and that's when you know, I think that's what the Angels waiting for. He's waiting for another GM to come to him, you know, and, and he wants to have the power situation. So if that's the case, yeah, the Celtics are in position just like they were, you know, to an extent, just like they were back in 2006 when they centered a deal around Al Jefferson. Now, I don't think that they're going to, you know, put get a package together like that because I think they kind of fleeced Mikhail in that sense, even though Al Jefferson is an amazing player and, you know, he's an all-NBA team player this year. Uh, I still think the Celtics got a steal in that, in that, in that trade. I don't think they'll get to him to that extent. But if you work something around Sellinger or if you work something smaller with Olenek involved in another pick, I do think something like that could definitely happen. Now, Jimmy, you said you don't consider anybody on the team as untouchable, but who do you think are the prime candidates to be moved in a trade? You mentioned Kelly Olynyk, and of course he finished the year strong, <laughs> and if the team can't get Kevin Love, could Olynyk slide in and be that stretch four, and then does that make Sullinger you know, more expendable? Who, who do you think is most likely candidate if the team is going to you know, make a big move that's going to kind of be the centerpiece of such a package? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I'm more high on Sonja than I am on Olenek. Some people are really high on Olenek. Um, I, I loved what he did to end the season. I think that's great for him, for his confidence. You know, like any rookie, he, he had a slow start and then some injury. The injured ankle kind of slowed him up a little bit more there. I just don't know if he, I don't know if I see him as like this great starting player on a championship contending team. I see him as a really good player coming off the bench or maybe a starter on a team that's not contending. I don't know if Olenek is that guy. At least I haven't seen it in my own eyes yet. I do think Sonja, there's something about Sonja, even off the court, he's just, he's just like a winner, though his attitude, the way he plays out there. The one thing I don't want to see from Sonja, I don't want to see him settle too much for three-pointers. But to answer your question, uh, I, I do think that both of those guys are definitely on the table. I think that if Sonja goes, it'll be in a bigger deal. Um, I do think that Bass is probably the most likely to be traded because, like you said, Celtics do have you know a handful of power forwards here, especially if they're considering bringing back Humphreys. If they trade Bass, for a player who's not a power forward, then maybe they go ahead and they bring Humphreys back on a mid-level type deal. Um, Jeff Green's the guy that I'm sure they're going to try to trade. Whether or not they can find a suitor for him uh, remains to be seen, but I don't think uh, Jeff Green is... I don't think he's met um, a lot of the guys. I don't think he's met Danny Ainge's expectations, I guess I should say. I think Ainge was hoping that Green could do a little bit more on his own. Obviously not be the only guy out there, but uh, it just seems like Green really needs, like, three solid, really solid players around him to sort of take the pressure off him defensively. So if they could get rid of him, I think they would try to do that as well. Jared, how about you? I see the, the big thing is that they had to have both Chris Humphreys and Brandon Bass this year, but next year they have the ability to choose, and there's not really any point of paying for four power forwards. That all can play right. pretty well. And Kelly Olynyk showed at the for most of the second half of the season. Let's, let, I mean, sure, those last three games are great, but it was the last three games of the season against two uh, two teams that weren't exactly competing for an NBA title. So let's let's have that as a nice little icing on the cake. But it was generally a good second half of the season for him. So Kelly's shown that he's definitely a rotation player right away for this team. So the likelihood that Brandon Bass and Chris Humphreys are here next season is extremely low. Now, they like Chris Humphreys a lot, so maybe they give him the mid-level and 
they just try to trade Brandon Bass. That's that's fairly feasible. Brandon Bass hasn't done anything to get deserve to be traded by an NBA team, but he certainly has done a lot to deserve to be traded to a good NBA team. So it, it's it would be fair, I think, mutually fair for Brandon Bass to be moved to a better ball club. Now, it's I, I think that Rajon Rondo and Jared Solinger, those are two guys that there's just there's no reason to trade them unless you can get a better player. There's absolutely no reason to not build around those guys. Especially Jared Solinger's got a super cheap contract for the way that he's producing right now. It's fantastic. He's a he's got the four years at like a million and a half basically each year. It's a fantastic contract. And Rondo is severely underpaid this upcoming season and he'll probably be a max player after that. But he's, he's probably a max player if he's able to get to his previous level of health for next season. So those are two guys that you could shop them around if you think there's a massive fish to be out there. But I don't, I don't really see anybody besides Kevin Love being available on the trade market besides maybe Carmelo Anthony that I think I would rather have than John Rondo. And I'm one of Carmelo Anthony's uh, least, least uh, one of the least supporters of Carmelo Anthony. So I'm not even, I'm not really sure I would trade John Rondo for him. But you know, Jared Solinger is kind of that guy that you use as the large base to bring in a big two. So he's, I think he's going to get shopped around a lot by Danny Angel's here because Danny Ainge is seeing a few really good players out there available, and he's going to try to see if he can put a package around with Solinger. But if he isn't going to get one of those big guys, it's really just a lateral move, and it's not a necessary one. And it's just really going to be crazy to see what actually happens this offseason. The team could look completely different. We know, I remember, you know, all the years of, of the big three era, the new big three era, where the bench has changed so much. But it's it's going to be a crazy offseason. All of us have, you know, barely any idea what could happen in the draft, what they get trade for, what they could, you know, what the Celtics are going to sign. But we're going to put you on the spot here a little bit. What are you guys going to be doing? You guys going to be doing the Garden Report in May of 2015? <laughs> uh, That's a good question. It might be. It might be an off-season uh, guard report. It doesn't have to be a playoff guard report, does it? <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you what. If, if they do make some fireworks this off-season, then yeah, we will be we will be doing the guard report in, in May. So I'm, I'll say I'll say I'll say yeah. I'll say if May falls in the first round of the playoffs, I can definitely see the Celtics getting back there. Now, you can't bring back everybody and expect them to all suddenly be good. I mean, like, are you going to bring back Avery Bradley? Are you going to, you know, keep Selinger? You can't just keep the entire team. So I think you are going to see a different team next year if, in fact, the Celtics do want to get better next year. If they want to make this into a two-year rebuild, then, we're t- you know, then we're talking a completely different story. And maybe you get some, maybe fans aren't coming out and supporting the team the way they were this year. So it'll be definitely interesting to see. But we will definitely be doing a Garden Report on draft night this year. So there will be at least nice. one Garden Report coming up. For me, it's if they trade for a major player, another franchise cornerstone. Uh, that you know, the the East is so the bottom of the East is so bad that it would be shocking if they didn't make it. I mean, sure, the Pistons were a total disaster this year, but the Celtics, you expect a lot more out of them than you do out of the Pistons. So, and of course, Greg Monroe, that may that might be that guy. But uh, the Celtics, if they make a big move and they get a really good player. I'd expect them to be able to improve by 10 wins or so, and that, that would probably be enough to get them into the eight seed. So, yeah, I think that they could sneak into the playoffs if that happens. And I, I am expecting it to happen, so I guess I'll just go all the way out on the limb and say, yeah, I expect the Celtics to make a major acquisition this offseason, and therefore I expect them to probably be the eight seed in the playoffs next year. Well, it was great talking to you guys, and we'll be looking for that special offseason edition of the Garden Report, hopefully one in addition to the, to the, the draft edition. Yes, definitely. Thanks.
in the season finale of the Garden Report, wasn't really talking about that last game. It was really looking at the whole season. So it definitely doesn't have too much of a uh, – it's not very time-sensitive. So you can definitely go back and watch that if you haven't. And we did nearly a half-hour show there, so there's plenty to watch. And there were plenty of videos of guys talking before and after the game about the season and the upcoming offseason. So definitely take a look at that. It's on Celtics blog and the CLNS Radio YouTube channel. Well, thanks so much, guys. Thank you, hey, guys. Thanks so much for having us. Well, we'd like to thank Jared and Jimmy for their work with the Garden Report, and we'd like to thank CLNS Radio and SB Nation for another successful season collaborating together. To check out the archives of the show for the 2014 Celtic season, log on to www.youtube.com forward slash CLNS Radio. You can follow Jared on Twitter at CLNS underscore Jared Weiss, and you can follow Jimmy on Twitter at Jimmy Toscano. Well, Adam, what do you think? Are we going to see some fireworks this offseason, as Wick has suggested? Oh, it's a great question. I think we are because they have so many assets, draft picks, players with, you know, we got to see a few expiring contracts over the next few years. And then you have some interesting players in this team that are not going to, you're, as, as Jimmy mentioned, you're not going to have another good season if you bring back everybody. You know, you're not going to get a 50 win season if this team is the same. So there's going to be a lot of changes. I think the fireworks will happen. It's just, who they're going to get. Is it going to be a Kevin Love? Is it going to be a package of players? We don't know. You would lean towards the one big asset because you want to have those cornerstone pieces. That's the most important part. If you had to pick one player that is most likely to be back next year and one that is least likely to be back, who do you got? Such a great question. I feel like uh, Rajan Rondo, just since he is still trying to get his confidence all the way up to 100%, maybe he's feeling you know injury-wise back to 100% health, but... I feel like once you get back, you know, a great offseason, he wasn't able to do that last year. I feel like since he's not as high as value, they're not going to find a good trade for him. He's back next year. That's my number one. Other than Keith Bogans, who I'm pretty sure is not going to be on the Celtics team next year. I think Gerald Wallace, because the big fireworks is going to happen, I think he's packaged in a trade for... Most likely, it ends up being Kevin Love and you know pieces. I just feel like either it's going to be a situation in which they go for a big piece, and he ends up being in this big part of a trade to you know figure out the contracts. But they're able to figure out something where they're able to get rid of the big Gerald Wallace contract. I'm going to have to be the pessimistic one. I actually would pick Wallace for my most likely to be back next year, unfortunately, if only because I just have such a hard time seeing anybody being willing to take that deal on this offseason. Next offseason, I think, is a, is a different story. Um, I'm with you on Rondo. I, I think it's it's very likely he's back next year for basically the reasons that you, you listed there. Uh, in terms of least likely to be back, of course, besides you know the obvious candidate in, in Bogans, I'm going to have to go with Brandon Bass. You you know, I think as, as as much as he's done yeoman's work for the team, really since he came to Boston, I think he's been nothing but a, a pleasant surprise all around. I think he's really a key to making any deal happen and that he's got that, that nicely sized contract there that makes it a natural fit for somebody to you know, take him on in a package. It's not a huge deal, $7 million a year. It expires after next season, so the team's not making a long-term commitment. I just think if something's going to happen, he's going to be a key piece, not so much because of his value as a player, though I do think he is a valuable player. It's more because of that contract is kind of one of the, the perfect build blocks for for building a deal around so we shall see and i want to remind folks that you can get the 411 on clns radio daily and delivered right to your email box it's the clns e-blast just text clns fans to 228 228- 
888-528-8828 and stay informed on shows, guests, contests, and much, much more. It's the CLNS eBlast. Text CLNS fans to 22828. Do it now. Well, now it's time for a special playoff preview edition of Around the NBA in 5. Are you ready, Adam? Absolutely. Let's get this started. All right. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to not go over every series. Some of them are pretty much a formality, like the the Heat and the Bobcats. But we'll try to get as many of them as as we can in here. And, uh, you know, let's just pick your winner and pick how many games the series will go. Ready? Let's start in the East. Indiana versus Atlanta. Indiana, five games. I like the size for Indiana. You know, not, you know, the Hawks steal a game with a three-point shooting, but five games for Indiana. I'm going to go and say an Indiana sweep. I know people are kind of fretting about their late-season swoon, but I think uh, they had a big win the other night over Oklahoma City, and I think they're going to right the ship. And I love seeing the way narratives flip in the media, and this is a perfect uh, case where you know all of the the angst over the Pacers' performance down the stretch could quickly flip into you know them being world beaters again and a, and a threat to Miami. And I just love seeing those those narrative flips. So I'm going to go with that. Absolutely. Uh, Chicago versus Washington. What do you think? I'm going to go with Chicago. I know Washington's been an up-and-coming team this year, and they played uh, really surprised people this year, even uh, though they benefited from the weak East. But I'm going to go with Chicago. That team just grinds it out. Um, but I'm going to say the series goes seven games because nothing ever comes easy for Chicago. They're going to have those nights when the offense just dries up, and uh, Washington you know, has shown that they can you know, put big nights offensively up on the board. So I say that one goes seven. Very interesting. I think, I, you know, I'm going to go with the upset. I know Tom, i got to love Tom Thibodeau, obviously, coming from the Celtics and to the Bulls. The Wizards have not won a series since 2005. I'm going to say they, it happens this year. They upset them because late-game scoring. Obviously, Chicago has trouble scoring one of the worst offensive teams in the league. Washington takes advantage, wins in seven. You're going to be the, the, the darling of our nation's capital with that, with that <laughs> prediction. So. All right, a big series. The surprising Toronto Raptors against the Brooklyn Nets and old friends Paul Pearson. We hope Kevin Garnett. Who you got? Oh, that's an interesting. That's, that's a good one. I feel like Brooklyn, they tanked the last few games to get Toronto. And I think they're going to keep riding high from their second half of the season. They played fantastically. They're ready. I think their veteran experience beats out Toronto. I think Toronto's going to force them to six or seven. I'm going to lean seven. I think Brooklyn finishes it with their big-time veteran experience. What are you? What are you? Yeah, you know, I can see this series going either way. This is a tough one to pick. Uh, you know, Brooklyn looks like world beaters against the Heat, uh, but they've really just kind of treaded water against the rest of the league. But um, I'm going to, I'm really hoping to see Paul Pierce get to match up with LeBron James one more time in my lifetime. So I'm going to just pick Brooklyn on the basis of that, and I'm going to say Brooklyn in six. Now that's really interesting because. I think he might be matching up with LeBron one more time in the Celtics. No, I'm joking. All right, so (laughs) (laughs) on to our next one. Oh, we were just talking about LeBron, Miami and Charlotte. This one might be pretty quick. Not sure it's going to be going too far, but our old friend Al Jefferson, what do you think? I'm going to go Miami in five. Charlotte is going to win a game and restore everyone's faith in humanity. Al Jefferson, Miami's not going to have an answer for him, and he's going to score 35 points, and they're going to pull a game out uh, in Charlotte. But other than that, it's Miami advancing in five. I'm doubling in that. They're going to win two games. Their first two in franchise history. Let's go for it. I like Al Jefferson. Got to enjoy him on the court. And Miami doesn't really have much to, to face him up against. So what's, I'm going to give Charlotte two games in that series just because Miami doesn't put the pedal on the metal until they make it to their next 
round against we know who. So I think that'll be an interesting series. I'm going to take the Miami Heat. Series. All right, picking up the pace and heading out west, San Antonio versus Dallas. Ooh, ah, Dallas has a lot of trouble with the Spurs. It's going to be easy for San Antonio. I'm going to go with the sweep. I'll go with that as well. San Antonio was glad they didn't get Memphis, and they're going to win this one in a sweep. Four games. Absolutely. Houston, Portland. Portland had a bad start. Houston's been fantastic recently. What do you think? I like Houston. I I actually like them as a threat to make the NBA Finals. I'm going to go Houston in five. I like Portland's corner three-point shooting. That's why I think they force seven, and they take it in seven. I think Portland actually does the upset because of their... I, I understand both these teams are big time on their you know efficiency point-wise. I think that the three balls are raining for Portland, and they win in seven. Doc Rivers and the Clippers against Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. Oh, Got to go with Doc, right? Because this is, this is really the year for the Clippers, it seems like. I know the Spurs and Thunder definitely seem to be the darlings of the West, but I think the Clippers are going to sneak up there because they, they have a surprisingly good defense. And I think that's because of Doc, and I like their chances they win in six. What do you think? All right, I'm going to go with the, the Clippers in six. Steph Curry's shooting steals a couple of games, but too much Blake Griffin. Makes sense. And OKC Memphis? OKC Memphis. I'm going to go OKC in five. I think that's same here. It just Memphis has a tough time. Wish they would have faced San Antonio. All right. Well, just to wrap it up, call it now, the NBA Finals. Pick your teams over whom and how many games? Clippers over Pacers. Seven games. Doc Rivers raises the trophy once again. Wow. That would be big for Celtics fans. I'm going to go with uh, the Houston Rockets <laughs> against the... I'm going to go with Miami this year uh, as much as I'd like to see Indiana, and I'm going to say the Rockets take it in seven. I like it. There you go. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Colisandros Mesa, Astrovex, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guests, Sean Grandy, Jared Weiss, and Jimmy Toscano. For our staff writer, Mark Loisel, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, and my co-host, Adam Lowenstein, I'm Rich Conti. See you next Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.